verse 10. But let's read it, God's holy inspired word together. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, each and every year when we gather to celebrate your resurrection, there's a danger. There's a danger that we can take it for granted. It's a danger that can just become religious practice. There's a danger it's just become outward formality. It's a danger that we can just come to church and fail to be affected by your word. Now, there's a danger for me as I preach to not have this truth affect my own heart. God, I pray today that you would enliven our hearts and minds. By your Holy Spirit, would you enable us to have fresh affection for you and respond to you in fresh faith and joy and hope because of your resurrection, Jesus. God, enable us in our weakness to hear from you. Enable me in my weakness to preach. Lord, I, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that you would raise us anew. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes we can forget who we really serve. Sometimes we can act like God is not alive just because we can't see him. There is a, I guess it's a children's story, the Chronicles of Narnia, there's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. It's one of my favorite stories of all time, and I love to go back and read it again and again. Um, I, I know that it's supposedly a kid's tale, but it has very real, true meanings. And, and one of the things we see in the Chronicles of Narnia is, is Lucy, she first discovers Narnia, she goes through this wardrobe and she's playing hide and seek, and she goes to the back of the wardrobe, and as she's going through the back of the wardrobe, she goes further and further, and then finally she feels branches, and then she ends up in this place of winter. And she encounters a fawn named Mr. Tumnus. If you haven't read the story, go and read it. It's a great tale. She encounters Mr. Tumnus, and he tells her of this white witch, and she says, who, who is the white witch? And he says, why is she that's got all of Narnia under her thumb? It's she that makes it always winter, and winter always and never Christmas. Think of that. And, and, the, and the creatures in Narnia, they, they've forgotten who the real king is. They've forgotten who the real ruler is. And they've submitted to this rule of this false king, this false queen, really. They've submitted to the rule of the white witch. And they've forgotten who their real king is. Just because they can't see him, they've forgotten who their king is. And, and through the, the process of the story... The Narnians rediscover who their true king is. It's a parable in a sort. Aslan is a lion. He's the true king. And, and as, as Aslan comes on the scene, everything is changed. I, I like the story because it reminds us of who our true king is. That our true king is... Jesus, that he's powerful, that he's alive, he's not false, he's a true king. And, and, and the Apostle Paul, 
He knew that. The Apostle Paul, he'd encountered the risen Christ. The Apostle Paul had once persecuted Jesus, and then Jesus stops him on, on the road, and, and he blinded him. And he arrested Paul so that Paul could see who he really was. So Paul could see that Jesus is really the true king. That he's the living king. He's not dead. He'd been raised to life. And that changed everything for Paul. And as Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, he wants them to know that they have hope. We need to know that we have hope too. We have hope in a king who's not dead. Just because we can't see him doesn't mean he's not alive. And so Paul tells them, he says, you turn from idols. You turn from fake kings. You turn from false things, from idols, to serve the living and true God. What we believe is that Jesus, he was the son of God. He is the son of God. And, and he came to this earth because we were in need of saving. We saw that Friday night. We were in need of saving, so Jesus came. He didn't have to, but he chose to come because we were in need of saving him because he loved us so much. And so Jesus, he came to the earth to rescue us, to save us. And, and then he died for us, paying the penalty for all our sins. We celebrated that on Good Friday, the fact that Jesus paid for all of our sins. But here's the thing, he didn't remain dead. On the third day, he rose to life. And as he was risen to life, he was proving the fact that he is actually over all things. That he's over hell, he's over death, he's over the grave. He is the true king. So that's why we say with confidence that he is risen. You can respond. We repeat that hope because it's our confidence, but we need to remind each other, we need to remind ourselves, we need to hear the reminder of the Apostle Paul that we serve a true, living God. God is not dead. He's not like an idol that we make with our own hands. He's a living God. He's not a false God that doesn't give us hope. He's not a false God who can't help us. He is a true God. He is the only one true and living God. When the people of Israel, they saw Moses go up the mountain to meet with God, and Moses went up, and he was gone for a long time. They thought, he's never coming back. And so um, what they did was they're like, well, Aaron said, hey, give me all your gold. And they, he collected all their gold, and they made a calf. And then they did something absurd. They they bow down and they worship this golden calf. And, and today, as we, as we look at that, we think that's really absurd because this metal image can't give them anything. This metal image can't talk. It can't respond to them. It, it doesn't do anything for them. It's not alive. And yet, that's often what we're tempted to do on our own. We make these idols on our own. We turn to things like money or power or fame or acceptance, thinking they'll give us something. But, but Paul is telling us, and, and the gospel tells us that, no, we have a living and true God. He can help us because he's alive. He can help us because he's true. He is the God of all creation. He's the author of life. He is the everlasting God who defines life, who gives life, who is the very breath of life. There's a reason why at the very beginning of the Bible, it, it starts by talking about creation and how God is the one who creates all things. We can look to him. He's the living God. He's the true God. Not only that, he breathes his breath of life into Adam. Adam went away from God. He disobeyed God. He sinned against God. And, 
And in Adam, all of us have sinned. And all of us belong to death. But our hope is that in Christ, we have everlasting life. He is the one true and living God. We can trust on him. We can depend upon him because he's our true and living king. But sometimes I think we forget that. We forget that God is truly alive, that he's our true king. And we can submit to other things. And let's hear the Apostle Paul afresh today when he says, we've turned from idols and let's turn away from those things and turn back to the true and living God. And here's the other thing he tells us, that we were waiting for his son from heaven. Why is it important for us to see that we wait his son from heaven? Because sometimes we forget that his son is in heaven. And the implication of that is that Jesus is the very son of God. He's the very creator, and he's in heaven ruling and reigning. That's, that's why he's there. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. He's taken up his power now, and he's begun to reign. And he's ruling. We await his son who's in heaven, who's from heaven. Sometimes we, we get bad at waiting. I, I hate waiting. I, I, don't, I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting in lines. I don't like waiting in traffic. A couple weeks ago, we got stuck in traffic. Um, 85 had shut down. I didn't like waiting, so I just got out of my car and started walking. Not walking to where we're going. I didn't leave Julie behind, but just walked to figure out what was going on. What's, what's the problem here? So I walked up to the fire truck, talked to those guys, walked back. We waited for a couple hours. It, it, it was difficult to wait. I'm not very good at waiting. And, and all of us, we, we can be bad at waiting, and in our waiting, we can forget where God is. We can forget that he's God overall, that he is the son of God and he is in heaven. What that, what that means is not that he's distant from us, that he's away from us. What it means is that he rules over all things. That's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday is that God is, Jesus is the son of God and he is waiting and he's in heaven and we're waiting for him. The implication is that we're waiting for him to return because he has been resurrected Jesus appeared to the apostles and to many people at least 10 times, to over 500 people on many different occasions. And at the end of his time on earth, he, he was ascended to heaven. And it tells us that in Acts 1. It says, in Acts 1 and verse 6, it says, So they had come together. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. The Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come to you, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. Where? To heaven. He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that's what the Apostle Paul is pointing us back to, the fact that Jesus, yes, he's the son, he is in heaven. He's the same one who went to heaven, he'll come back from heaven to take us to go be with him in heaven. And he ascended, he ascended to his throne. And his ascendance was a visible sign that all of his work here on earth was done. And his ascendance actually means something. The fact that Jesus is in heaven means that his promises are true. He says, I, I, I'm going to go away, and because I go away... It's going to be better for you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And we're waiting his son in heaven. That means that we actually have the Holy Spirit. That he's given us power to enable us to live this life day by day. 
because he's ascended, because he's in heaven. That's what he told us in John 16, 6. He says, it's to your advantage I go away, for if I did not go away, the helper would not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. And we know that because Jesus has ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit. And that's good news. We also know that because he's ascended, because he's in heaven, that he's gone to prepare a place for us. He tells us that in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you? Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Here's the thing. Because Jesus has gone and he's in heaven, it's a guarantee that he will come again. And he says, I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. For now, though, our time here is a time of waiting. We await Jesus the Son who's in heaven. And we await his return, knowing that, that he's given us his Holy Spirit here now, that he's preparing a place for us, and then one day he's going to come back and get us. And, and, and I love that imagery because it's the imagery of a bride and groom. You see, the, the groom in Old Testament times, he would come and make arrangements to marry the bride. And then he'd go away. He'd go back to the home, to the father's home, and he would prepare a place in the father's home. He would often build a new addition onto the father's home. And he'd go, and it could be a little while as he's preparing a place for the bride. And he'd go away, and the bride would not know when he would come back. And he'd come back with fanfare, with trumpets, with, with singing, rejoicing. And he'd go away, but he was going away to prepare a place so that he could come back and get his bride and bring her back home. And that's what Paul is alluding to. We await Jesus, the Son, who's in heaven. And he's preparing a place, and he's going to bring us back home. And that's what we rejoice in on this Resurrection Sunday. That's why we rejoice, and that's why we say he's risen. Awesome. <laughs> we have a home, even though we can't see it. And that home is with Jesus. Most of us are citizens of at least one country. Most of us are citizens of this country. What's most important is that we are ultimately citizens of another country because we're citizens by marriage. We're citizens by marriage to Christ. Because we are united with him, because we're married to him, we are now citizens of his kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. And it actually, the Bible puts it in terms, it says, we are now seated with him in heavenly places, even though we're not there yet, that's where our rightful place is, that's where we belong, that's where our position is, our place is. Jesus, the one who is his son from heaven. And we can be sure of the fact that, that the next part of the verse 10 tells us, whom he, whom God raised from the dead... Here's the thing, we're serving and we're waiting the resurrected Jesus. We're serving and waiting the resurrected Jesus. Our hope is in the fact that, that Jesus is risen. There you go. That is our hope. You know, it, you, you, if you are a friend of mine, you will know that I hate the winter. I hate wintertime, I hate cold. I don't like anything about the winter. People are like, don't you miss the snow? I'm like, not at all. 
I don't miss all the things that go along with it, and cold and shivering and all that kind of stuff. I, I love to go skiing, but it's a place to visit and come back and to be warm while I'm there. But every winter, God is telling us a parable. He's telling us a parable through his creation that, that death points us to the need for life. That winter and cold and barrenness with all the leaves fall off of all the trees and everything looks bleak and dark. It points to the fact that there is a resurrection coming. There is life coming because Jesus has been resurrected. There is hope that, that life, true life, resurrection life awaits us. Jesus' death preceded his resurrection. Just like if we are in Christ, our death precedes resurrection, unless he returns before then. Hope, though, springs anew in Christ as we put our hope in the fact that he is risen. And because he's risen, our confidence, our trust, our hope, our faith is in the fact that because Jesus is risen, and he says that if by faith we've been united in Christ, we certainly will be resurrected like him as well. The apostles didn't create this doctrine. They didn't manufacture it. They would never have expected Jesus to be resurrected. They never would have expected Jesus to be raised to new life. They didn't, and you can see from all the accounts in the Gospels that what they expected was that he was dead. They were sad. They were discouraged. They were distraught. They didn't know what to do. And in fact, a few of his disciples just left, and they were on the road to Emmaus, and they were heading away. Jesus met them on the road to Emmaus as they were heading away and they were perplexed, they were sad. He's like, hey, what are you talking about? And they're like, haven't you heard? There was Jesus. We thought he was the Messiah, but he's dead. And then Jesus talks to them. They don't know that he's Jesus. They don't know it's the Messiah. For some reason, his appearance is cloaked to them. And he describes to them from all of the law and all of the prophets how the Son of God must come, must die, and must be resurrected. And they still don't get it, but as he breaks bread with them, they see that he is the one whose body was broken for them, and then he's gone. And then they hurry back to Jerusalem, and they understand that, that he is now risen, and because he's risen, it makes all the difference. Jesus, his life makes all the difference. When, when the apostle Peter and John, when they were thinking that Jesus was dead, they went to go visit the tomb. They find an empty tomb. And, and then they realize that he's gone. They still are perplexed. They don't understand things. And then Jesus appears to them, and he reveals that he is alive. And then they have hope. And that's what Peter talks about. He says, we've been born again to a living hope. I can imagine how distraught Peter must have been when Jesus died because the last words that Jesus heard Peter speak was when Peter denied him. And Jesus makes eye contact with Peter. And Peter's distraught. He turns his face away. He goes away from Jesus. He's sad. But the fact that Jesus is now alive makes all the difference. The resurrection, it lies at the heart of the gospel and, and, it, and it foreshadows really the, the hope that we have that if we have been united with Christ, 
in a death like his, then we will certainly be united in his resurrection. And the resurrection means that we can trust all that he said. It was proof that all he said was true. It was proof that he can be trusted. It's proof that our life is meaningful in him. The resurrection shows that God put all of his wrath on Jesus, that Jesus fully satisfied the law of God. He fully satisfied the penalty that we deserve to pay. Because the resurrection is true, we can be sure that that all of the punishment that we deserve has been put on Christ. And all the life that God promises us in Christ is given to us. Because he's risen, life in Christ does not end in death. Because he's risen, we can be forgiven all of our sins. Because he's risen, there's hope. And I like how the Apostle Paul ends this verse. He says, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. On our own, we all deserve the wrath of God. Each and every human who's ever lived has disobeyed God. Each and every human who's ever lived has in some way gone astray from God, denied God, disobeyed God, rebelled against God. And God says the penalty for that is his wrath, his punishment, his eternal condemnation. And yet Jesus said, I'm going to the cross so that I can take God's wrath and take the punishment that that we deserved. And the fact that Jesus is resurrected is is proof that all of the payment has been made because if, if we were to pay eternal punishment, then the punishment would never end. And so the punishment for against the eternal God can only be placed on the eternal Son of God. So Jesus paid for all of the wrath of God that we deserved in every way. And our confidence is that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. As we live this life, we can live this life now in confidence, knowing that we have the life of Christ in us, that he is going to raise us from the dead one day, but he's already made us new. He's already made us born again. Our baptism signifies that. We've been dead to sins and been raised to life. And that one day we'll have a resurrected life. And yet while we live here and now, we can hope that, that we have the Holy Spirit who will enable us to wait and serve. To wait patiently, to look to him, to serve him through the grace that he gives to us by his Holy Spirit. And we can do that confidently knowing that he is never displeased with those who put their trust in him. That those who put their trust in him only will experience his pleasure. Only will experience his favor. And that even now, he delivers us from the wrath to come. Even now, our hope every day when we mess up, every day when we fail, every day when we fall short of the glory of God, we can put our faith in Jesus who's in heaven, who's been raised, knowing that he delivers us from the wrath of God to come. And that whenever we sin, we can confess our sins and and receive his forgiveness and receive fresh hope, and and that's meant to give us joy. Joy in the here and now. Joy knowing that he is risen. Ephesians tells us 
what would have transpired prior to us placing our faith in Jesus. It says in Ephesians 2, 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But here's our hope on Resurrection Sunday. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him. He already considers us raised. He's already raised us to new life. He's breathed his breath of life into us. He's brought spring into our hearts, into our souls, into our minds. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's already where we are positionally. He says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We serve and we await the risen Jesus who delivers us and will raise us. Let's pray. Go to the band, come up, we'll, we'll sing. Father, thank you that you are the living and true God. God, we want to turn away from any false hopes. We want to turn away from idols of our own making, turn away from death and turn to you, the living and true God, knowing that you are the one who gives us true life. Jesus, thank you that you have been raised, that you are currently in heaven ruling and reigning and we can trust in you. And Lord, help us put our trust in you. Jesus, I pray that each and every day and we wake and when we go to bed, we can remember that all the wrath that we deserved is already been placed on you. There is no more to come for us because you have taken it all. And God, I pray that you would give a renewed joy. Renewed joy in you, in the life that we have in you. Even though we wait right now, Lord, I pray that you would give us joy in the waiting. Lord, joy that would inspire serving you. Joy that would inspire love for you and fresh gratitude for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.
and sing how sin's curse has lost its grip. You have made a way that all of the penalty of sin has been dealt with for those who run to you for rescue. There is none that remains. Not sickness, not death, there is no need to fear. Lord, though we still live in a world that experiences these things, we know that they have been forever defeated in you. We have eternal hope because of what you have definitively done in time. Lord, would you raise our eyes to remember all that you have done, to marvel at your goodness and how you would bring us in to your family forevermore. We rejoice and we thank you in your great name, Jesus. Amen.